Hello, my name is Dr. Kara King. Hi, I'm Dr. Mary Rensel, and we are your host for Inspirations and Insights from Cleveland Clinic Women Docs. In this podcast, we will share conversations with women doctors from all career stages and practices, exploring the highlights and challenges of being a woman in medicine. We hope these thought-provoking stories inspire you and provide insight into the unique challenges and accomplishments of remarkable women docs. Welcome back to Inspirations and Insights. We hope everyone is having a fantastic week. We are incredibly excited to have Dr. Margaret McKenzie on our episode today. Margaret is an obstetrician and gynecologist, as well as the current president of South Point Hospital. She is a past president of the WPSA and has numerous publications as well as teaching awards. In this interview, Margaret talks about her passion for teaching, finding your authentic self, and unique barriers specific for women leaders. We hope you enjoy her wise and incredibly thoughtful words. So we are really excited to have Dr. Margaret McKenzie on our Insights episode today. So Margaret, welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. We are so thrilled to have you too. And like, like I was just saying, you know, I've been hearing your name since I interviewed here two years ago at how absolutely amazing and spectacular you are. So I'm just thrilled to have this conversation ahead of us right now. Great. Awesome. Happy to be here. So I want to start by talking about one of your really deep passions and incredible skills, which is within medical education and teaching. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you talk about how even as a little girl, you dreamed of being a teacher. Where do you think this passion came from? Probably just inborn, or I might have had uh, teachers that I loved when I was growing up. I don't know. But when I was very little, I was trying to, as soon as I went to, I went to kindergarten early and I was trying to teach the chairs when I went home. (laughs) I think that really, I just like to pass knowledge on. I think that it's a privilege to get knowledge and I'm always excited to share it with other people and, and get them in the know. Knowledge is power, right? Absolutely, for sure, yeah. And I've heard you talk about not only educating medical students and residents and fellows, but also your patients. You find great pride in educating your patients as well. Absolutely. Uh, Health literacy is uh, critical, right, when you're caring for patients. I view my relationship with patients as a partnership. You know, you're not just walking in to get your tank filled, but you're also bringing something to the conversation so that, you know, you can also take part in, in caring for yourself as well. I tend to be more successful that way. Yeah. I love that. And within medical education, what attributes do you think are most important to be an influential teacher? For me, I always say the learning environment that you create has to be optimal. It's got to be psychologically safe, non-judgmental. You've got to allow people chances to, to not say the right thing and make it okay and allow people to fall and to fail and not make a big deal out of it, but instead turning each one of those into an opportunity to see things from a different lens. So I tend to focus a lot on the learning environment and making it as non-judgmental as possible. The folks at Learner will tell you that I really strongly support a culture of feedback I'm always looking for it for myself. I'm always asking for it. And so I tend to create environments where most of the people who find themselves in my space become like that. They start longing for feedback and using the feedback as opportunities for growth. 
What important points you make. I hear you say, create that psychologically safe space and then allowing space to struggle. Yeah. It's so important. I know you're uh, an OBGYN as well. And it's such a fine line between giving space to your learners to struggle, yet letting them feel supported. And I couldn't agree more that 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 space for struggle, though, is really, really important. It's important. I think it allows the autonomy that we're looking for, for learners to to gain that in, in a place where we can help them out if they fall. So that's critical. You know, you make me think about one of the most important teachers that I've had in the operating room. And what they used to say to me is, if you break it, I will fix it. Yes. (laughs) And for some reason that sat with me, like, you know, like give me the space to struggle. But if I, if I don't win with this struggle, it's all going to be okay. Absolutely. And, and that's a safe space, right? Very safe space. You know, you know that somebody's got your back, right? So true. So true. And it also promotes a lot of the autonomy, I think, that you need I think that today most people are getting out of spaces of learning without a lot of autonomy and practice. I think that when you've got a nice learning environment, by the time people are done their tenure with you, they will be very autonomous in the way that they approach problems. So that's a good thing. Not building too much codependence. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Works for kids too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I need you in my life. I know I have three young kids and I'm trying to figure this out. It's so true. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So Margaret, I want to switch and talk a bit about your tremendous position as the president of South Point Hospital, which is absolutely amazing accomplishment. And, you know, they say, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So I am so happy to see you in this role and absolutely killing it. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I've heard you address the known disparity in the number of women graduating from medical school and those actually reaching hospital leadership positions. And I'm curious, what unique barriers do you think women face during this upward climb? I think that uh, the, the number one challenge that we have is that most of us, when we are in the early parts of our career, we've got competing interests, right? Competing roles. It's either a relationship Either you're trying to build one or you're in one and you're trying to create offspring, right? And those distractions leave us torn in the inside regarding which one should I prioritize now? And that's where your values come in because your values will help you make the right decision for that particular time in your life. And we talk a lot about on and off ramps for women in medicine, It's actually very well written about. And that is that there are times that you might want to have your priorities be your family or your children. You're also interested five years, 10 years from now in having this big career. And so the question is learning how to prioritize things so that you could figure out how you can still keep your hands in both, but prioritizing the one that matters most right now. And the reason for keeping your hands in both is on the career side, you've got to maintain a little bit of visibility when you're on the off-ramp, when you're off raising kids. So you've got to keep publishing. You've got to get a national presence. And you've got to do small things around your, your peer environment, your current environment you're in, so that people would know that you actually can execute those things. And then you're not forgotten 
Because if not, when you try to come back in, if you, if you zoom off and then you try to come back in, most of the time you're older and you've lost some opportunity to really excel and show people you can, you've got to start over. Now, if you woke up one day and you found yourself on, on not having done that perfectly, this is uh, the United States of America. You can begin again at any time when you're ready. And I really believe that uh, you can reinvent yourself. So if you woke up one day and you were doing something and you're, you, want, you, you weren't so satisfied with it, I definitely recommend having the courage to change it. But I think that the obstacle for us is the, the, the tension, the competing interests at certain times in our lives. Beyond that, we are in an environment where many of our male colleagues might have spouses who are taking care of all of that. And um, also, they tend to have sponsors, right, and mentors who actually pull them onto their wings and really show them the path to getting there. And many of us women sometimes don't have that kind of mentorship and that kind of sponsorship because that does make a difference. Those are a couple of the biggest obstacles that I see that an early career woman has got to think about and maybe even a mid-career woman. And then thirdly then is when you, like in my generation, we didn't have a lot of role models for us to look at and say, I want to be like that. So many times you're inventing this as you go, you're looking around and you might see a woman who's doing something close to what you want to do and you just have to go with it. Whereas now with your generation, my goodness, you could look around and you could see people doing exactly what it is that you want to do, right? Uh, when we were coming through, we didn't really have that. So definitely advantageous and less obstacle, but there is an elephant in the room. That was so beautifully put. You're, you're so right. What I'm hearing you say is, number one, understanding that your life is going to ebb and flow depending on outside of work things and being okay with that, but still maintaining some presence in both. Correct. And also, again, finding mentors, finding sponsors who are doing what you hope to do and keeping them close. And what I'm thinking about is how important the WPSA is just for that, right? Absolutely. Like a whole pool of women doing exactly what you're talking about. Right. And, uh, and that is, um, I think, for our organization to support an organization like this, I think that that's actually been really instrumental in all of the sponsorship that you see today. Many institute chairs have been very intentional, like uh, Dr. Falcone was a very intentional chair. And so he made it a priority. He's in an institute that's got close to half women, and now it's definitely more than half women. And that he had the courage to be deliberate and say, well, when I hire somebody, they've got to be adept in the operating room. They've got to be an adept in high-risk obstetrics. Well, I think that they should be having an equal seat at the table. And so I think that that intentionality is actually what has us in in this particular space. Because then it becomes infectious. Other people see it and, and they grow from it. To get the organization to give us a level of sponsorship that we have over the last uh, 12 years has actually been um, phenomenal. So, 
You came at the right time, Kara. <laughs> you are telling me. I know. Yeah. I'm coming in hot. I know we had Dr. Falcone and then Dr. Ridgway, who was just yes. equally as powerful and instrumental. So I know. Yes. I'm so yes. fortunate. Yeah. So I, I love the way you spoke about women kind of being uh, going on the on-road and I would say on-ramp and off-ramp, kind of, kind of ebbing and flow with your career and really learning how to integrate work and home. My question is, how did you navigate that on-ramp? You're a mother, correct? You have a few kids at home, two kids, two, two girls. And I heard that one of your daughters just got into medical school. Is that right? Both of them. The oldest one is in medical school. And wow. then the youngest one just got into medical school. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is such a big deal. Thank you. And that warms my heart because that just shows how influ influential you have been at home, right? They've seen your life as a physician and they're like, I want that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I don't know a lot about your off and on ramping, but I'm assuming that you maybe off ramped a little bit when your daughters were a little bit younger. Can you talk to me about how you on ramped again? What, what kind of things did you do to become more prominent when you were coming back into the workforce a little bit more heavily? I started my life in private practice for about three years. I trained at University Hospital. And then I came over to the Cleveland Clinic and did private practice with Dr. the famous Dr. Ivan Felice, oh, um, who, who definitely is one of us and has been a great partner in terms of my growth and taking opportunity. In my off ramps, I was having babies. When I came back, you've heard me say I'm a teacher. So I started teaching medical students and I won a, I won a teaching award. Then I was the clerkship director, went on sabbatical, and I took her role. I didn't know anything about being a clerkship director, and so I just reinvented the role. I joined APCO. I started to present nationally and made great colleagues within that organization, and then was able to bring that back here at Cleveland Clinic and then Case, because we didn't have Learner yet. And then got a chance to be on the ground floor with planning the learner curriculum and an assessment system, then participating in numerous ways, writing PBL cases, problem-based learning cases, and just uh, really getting involved in the competency-based portfolio assessment system that we have. We brought that up from a baby, okay? <laughs> Gradually doing a little bit more, you know, as time allowed, and then expanding it. But it was just um, very deliberate a little bit at a time. At the same time, I also took on a role in my office at Willoughby Hills as the, the section chief for OBGYN. And then I became, it, this was in its infancy. This is probably was about in 2004. Yeah. You know, doing, doing small administrative roles, learning how to manage groups of people. And then I came back downtown to the main campus in 2007 and became the uh, section head for general OBGYN at the main campus. And it's from that role that I then pivoted to this current role, also serving on uh, boards nationally and also locally as well, uh, nonprofits. It, it sort of becomes like a, a little nidus, you know, yeah. for, for crystals to grow. You know, all you need to do is have that little bit going and then people start finding out about you and then they ask you to do more things. And in this organization, all you need to do to get promoted is if you show up every day and you are the best doctor that you could be in your specialty, and if there's a problem that needs to be solved rather than contributing 
to it or whining about it. You just solve it. Those things get you noticed. So you're the top of your game clinically as a teacher, right? Educationally. And of course, you've got to have compassion and emotional intelligence. And um, you've got to be fair. It can't just be you, 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 right? You've got to also share with other people. You know, they say when you teach, you learn. Well, when you promote others, you get promoted. Wow. And that's just a, that's just a fact. In this organization, that is how you can, can get to, to the next level. I think those words are so powerful. Just the way you worded that, when you promote others, you get promoted, right? Like raising everybody else up around you raises you up, right? It does. And I feel like oftentimes in many fields, the ego gets the best of us, right? Where we feel like we need to push other people down to raise us up. But it's such the opposite. Isn't that true? And I will invite every single person as, as you walk into the door of this part of your life, honestly, the competition is over. Nobody is interested in competing with you. There is a time when you're competing because you're trying to get to the best college and then the best medical school and then the best residency and then the best fellowship, right? And then the best practice. And then it's sort of like you're in this hollow tube, you know, where nobody really cares. And so the bottom line is you really have to let the ego go. The ego is important but it becomes destructive when you put it at the forefront of everything that you do. And I think that we are in the business of caring for other humans. And those other humans are not always just our patients. They're our peers, right? And our partners and our friends. And so it's better to have friends in the workplace than somebody you're feeling you have to compete with. Even if they're doing something that you want to do, you know, go find your own thing. I mean, there are, there are enough things out there in the world. <laughs> Why do you want the thing that she has, you know? And uh, I, just, I just look at it totally different. So I'm, I'm always trying to, I don't even, I can't even explain it. I'm always trying to figure out how I could get somebody to do something else. And so in my space at South Point, I've actually done it by creating a physician leadership council where uh, I groomed about 20 physicians into leaders and then give them things to do, give them projects to do, you know, and we try to find them protected time if we can, because it increases the engagement. I have more people to delegate things to. (laughs) (laughs) Don't think I'm not But anyhow, but yeah, but it starts with uh, letting go of the ego, just like with with your love relationship, right? You've got to let the ego go. If you think you have a great capacity to do that, wait until you get a teenager. (laughs) It starts all over again. So you've got to be able to let the ego go because it'll actually hold things up and stop you from doing what's right, whatever the right thing is. So, Those words are so wise. I'm going to hold them in my heart for a very long time. Thank you so much. This is why you are president. That, That is just, you are just so wise. So thank you for sharing that. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. So I want to dive a bit into how you define success and your values. And during a previous interview, I heard you say that your paradigm has to align with your own values. If you're living in that space, then you are going to choose the values that align with yours as opposed to values that align with somebody else's. And these words really struck me deeply. And my question for you is, have you ever refused any opportunities because they did not align with your values? 
And how did you identify this discrepancy? I'm sure one day you'll be sitting there having a conversation with Dr. Falcone and he'll tell you all the things that I said no to <laughs> because they did not align with my values. So I think that there is a time in your life where you have to make a decision as to whether you're going to live an authentic life or not. So what do I mean by that? You know, after a while, the competition has to end, right? After a while, nobody's looking to see if you're doing a vag kiss better than them or, you know, or whatever it is. If you've got more articles in them or anything, you've got to go with your values because I think life is also about joy. And if you're living in that joyous place, you've got to be real. And if not, things don't feel good in your skin. But you, you have to be in touch with your values. You have to know what those values are. And then when something comes along, when you get the candy offered to you, the first thing that hits you if you wanted something bigger is, oh, I'll take it, I'll take it. Maybe it'll get me to the next thing. It's like being asked a, a really serious question about your life. And rather than just giving a quick answer, you have to go home and sort of wrestle with it. And I think that when you're home wrestling, it's all about wrestling with what aligns with your values. And for me, I like to write, uh, I'm a two column girl. It's one column here, one column is um, value oriented and aligns with mine or it doesn't. And then the one that's on the side that aligns with my values wins. When you do work that's aligned with your value, it's joyful work. I thank God, I should knock on wood, I don't have wood here. I'll do it for you. Perfect. <laughs> that uh, I have never burnt out. I, I never burnt out. And I've been at this for 33 years. And I, for that, I have a lot of gratitude. But part of it is because I've dared to be true. I've lost a few opportunities. In retrospect, I sit back and I think, well, I could have done that. But it, it didn't align with the kind of life that I wanted to be living. And so for me, it was the right thing. And, and over time, has proven so. Again, so powerful. And what I'm hearing is you're really talking about your authentic self and, mm -hmm. and giving yourself the space to understand what that means for you, right? Right. And, and I feel like so many times we have so many competing responsibilities that we don't actually give ourselves space to even understand what our values even are anymore. Right. Have you ever had that happen to you? Or it sounds like you're a, you're a write it out type of person, but have you ever had a time in your career where you felt like you were just trying to keep up and, and how did you give yourself that space? So yeah, when you're younger and you first come out into practice and you're trying to build your brand, it's typically when you get caught in that space. But I think that um, hopefully you'll wake up and say, this is, I feel like a rat on a treadmill. I can't continue to do this forever. Even in the hospital now, as I work, when it gets, like I say, really hot in there, I will walk out of the hospital and walk. We have a beautiful campus. You've been there, yeah. the campus in the back in the summer, you'll see us walking out there. So in the middle of the day, when my brain is too full and there's too much going on, in order, you have to be able to walk out and do a Walden walk. And when you come back, you're refreshed and you can really think about things. Well, I think that Franklin Covey spoke about that when he said, sharpen the saw. Yes. You know the concept? Yes. yes. Good. Go and go back and find it and apply it to your life right now. It'll alter the entire course of your life.
The other thing that's important is I always say sharpen the saw, prioritize what matters most once you figure it out, because it's got to be aligned with your values and your roles. And then have a quadrant two living. And that is spend most of your time on the things that are important and not urgent. There are times when you have to take care of things that are urgent and important. That's our work. That's an ectopic. That's a, a ruptured uterus or something. Those are times when you, you can do that. But then as soon as that emergency is over, you have to go back into your important and not urgent quadrant. Other than that, you're wasting life energy, right? And we only have so much time on this earth, right? We don't know how long it is. And so as you're living your life, you really want to be able to enjoy it. So in the beginning, when you're trying to find your sweet spot of practice, a lot of the times um, you're in this treadmill as you're trying to do everything and be everything and be the biggest thing. And uh, then you do wake up at some point in time because that is just not sustainable. And you've got to go and, and learn how to live and be creative and maintain your creativity and still produce good work and still have a great reputation and still publish and so forth. But without all of this, I got to do it now. I got to do it now. I got to do it now. So that urgency, that sense of urgency. I'm pretty sure you're in my head right now. Yes, I'm feeling that <laughs> so much. And I'm going to link one of your articles to this podcast where you talk about the seven key factors for success. And I'm looking at them right now, right? Like practice self-reflection and practice self-awareness and engage in practices for creativity. So many things that you're speaking about. If, we, if you actually sit with these factors, you're right. It's going to change your life. So with that, Margaret, I think it's all the time that we have today, but I cannot thank you enough for your wisdom and your time. And thank you so much for all of your tremendous work and support. It's been a, truly an honor to have you on our show today. Yeah. And you know what else I should tell you? Tell me. Listen to your patients. Yes. You're going to learn so much from all of those women you care for over their lifetime. It's going to inform your entire life. And by the way, you are really good at this podcasting thing. <laughs> So I think that you need to make this like a regular thing. You're really good at it. You're so kind. Thank no, you. Serious. You're really good at it. Thank you. I appreciate those words. I, uh, I'm still pretty new at this. So thank you. I appreciate it. Great. Great job. Take care. Thank you for listening today. Join us again as we draw inspirations and insights from women doctors past, present, and future. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WPSA1. That's at WPSA and the number one. This podcast is supported by Cleveland Clinic's Women's Professional Staff Association as part of the Cleveland Clinic Centennial Celebration.